Praise God. Praise God. Grab your seats, everybody. Our God is so good. Uh, it's great to be together. Welcome back to 2019. I may not be in full voice today, so pray for me if I can get through three services here. I've got a bit of a bug, but we'll, we'll have a good time anyway. Hey, listen, before we dive into God's precious word right here, I, I have a few things I think are very noteworthy and I'd love to maybe share. Just a few weeks back, we had communicated to the church that we're going to do a, a, a financial offering for our, our deacons. Um, every single penny, every single dollar in four of our Christmas services was going to go to what we call the deacon fund or the deacon ministry. And really, it, it's care and benevolence to people in this church family and all around the Mount Pleasant area. And, uh, uh, and so we just kind of, we put that out there. And I simply wanted to report back to you guys that we had the, the highest on record in the history of this church amount of financial giving into that to the tune of in excess of $45,000. So praise God. So I, I just want to thank you for listening to the Lord and for your incredible generosity. That is now going to impact the lives of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and different families who are in crisis. So praise God that we get to do that. The second thing I want to mention is, you know, the way the calendar fell for Christmas, we, uh, there was, um, uh, Christmas Day was a Tuesday, and so we had the Christmas Eve services on the Monday, and we had an ordinary Sunday, and then the year prior, we did the family service for the kids and the confetti cannons, and it was out of control packed, and so we knew we needed to add another service onto that one, and so... There's probably no perfect way to do this because I know some people actually like went to Sunday morning and then they might have gone to a second one, like maybe the, the kids one. And then some people might have even gone to all three. That's a bit too much church for me. But anyway, uh, I went to all seven actually. <laughs> um, so, but the wonderful thing was, so there's probably no perfect way to count that. I, I recognize that some people, but please know this, there was in excess over that 48 hour period of time, there was in excess of 3,700 people came. I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wally was preaching in one of the services, and he gave an opportunity for people to come to Christ. And what we always do is we say, hey, head out to the info center, and we have a free gift for you. We call it a starter kit. It's got a Bible. It's got a letter from Wally and me, and it's got a little discipleship book, just something to get them going. And we actually ran out of starter kits. So many people committed our lives to Christ. We had to quickly make more of them. So praise God. So... Thank you for engaging in the gospel. Thank you for engaging in what I would simply call invitational evangelism. And then for your generosity on top of all that, I just uh, walked out of here on Christmas Eve a little tired, but just going, God is incredible. Just incredible. All right, now exciting that we turn the page on to 2019 and start our very first series. Who saw the little promo video with the thing in our mouths? I've watched it like too many times because I like watching uh, Holly Knudsen drool. Uh, it's just fantastic. No, we're not going to watch it again. It's, uh, it's, on, uh, it's online if you want to see it. But now we get into this simple phrase... Uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And it must be quite universal. So I grew up, obviously, like on a different continent, but I knew every one of those words to uh, American kids here. And I don't know the, the full reach of this little phrase that I think parents give to our children to arm them as they head out onto the playground of life, where these nasty words are floating around to perhaps beat our children up. And so we teach them this little rhyme or this little poem Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But, and of course, we know 
That's complete rubbish, isn't it? It's just not even true. Even the toughest amongst us here today, I, I guarantee you there's not a single person here where, there I, where I to ask you, can you think of a moment in your life when somebody said something to you? And for some of you right now, you can go, man, I remember the place, the time, and the person. And they said something that actually, it, it escalated my life. It motivated me. It breathed life into me. It was incredible. But I bet you more than that, we can more quickly remember words that destroyed us, that wounded us, like in our soul, sometimes as a child or as a teenager or as a young adult, and you can remember the place and the time and the tone and the exact words that were spoken. What is that? What is that? And what does God have to say about that reality? So over the course of today and the next four weeks, I really want to ask you, don't skip a week. This is going to build block upon block and I think have tremendous potential for impact. I am convinced that if you will pay attention to the Father and His words, not the words we speak or other people speak to us, His words, He's going to affect this very small thing in the scheme of things. Your little mouth, your tongue, that has a massive impact on your life and how you function. So much so that I believe it has the potential to change marriages. It has the potential to change how we love and parent our children and grandchildren. Change your friendships. Change your relationship with your boss. Change you as an employee. Really change you in every friendship and relationship. But here's the thing. If you're already sitting here thinking, man, I can't believe my wife didn't come today because she really needs to hear this one. If only my boss were here. So let me just stop you right now. No, 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 no. Your words. The stuff that comes out of your mouth. Just you. That's what I want you to consider today. How you speak. Because how many of us have figured this out? You know, oh, I'll change him. Does it work, wives? It doesn't. You can't change your husband, you can't change your mom, you can't change your best friend, and you cannot change your worst enemy, but you can't change yourself with the, with the help of God. Every domestic violence situation, you can ask police officers who would know far better than I, how does this start? Something that becomes sometimes very, very evil. Words. An argument. I want you, you got to listen to what I have to say. The wrong thing said at the wrong time in the wrong way? Anyone here ever done that? I like two, I got two hands in the air on that one. We've all done that. And so I really want to I really encourage you, come back every single week for this series. I think it has the potential for an immediate change and transformation to the positive. I want to tip my cap to an author by the name of Andy Stanley. I'll be leaning into uh, his material over the next four weeks. Repeat this after me. Quick to listen, slow to speak, all together. Quick to listen, slow to speak. One more time. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Here's what you do. When you are in a conflict or an argument or a difficult conversation, here's what almost every single one of us do. Our minds shut down. Our ears close up. Our hearts begin to shrivel and become hardened. And as the other person is doing the Charlie Brown wah, 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 we are not listening anymore because we begin to formulate in our minds, what's the next thing that I'm going to say? They're talking and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But really, it's what is the next sarcastic jab or what's my point going to be that's going to stick it to them and going to put them in their place? 
This is what we do. This is a universal truth of, uh, of uh, humankind. What is our response going to be? The reason why we do that is huge. Because we want exactly what the other person wants. Both people in the conversation, they want to be heard and they want to be understood. You want that. You want to be quick to listen and slow to speak so that you can be heard and understood. You want me to be quick to listen and slow to speak so that you can be heard and understood. And the other person wants that as well. We might never agree, but I want you to listen to me. We might, we might never agree on how to parent or how to best pay the bills or manage our budget. We might never agree on how to solve this problem. We might never agree on how to run this business. But I want you to understand me and know where I'm coming from. And if in, the, if in the duration of that conversation, you have to interject and say something, I would encourage you simply to bring, to say something that just affirms the fact that you're listening to the other person, even if it's a grunt out of your mouth, anything. So let's do this one more time, out loud again, ready? Quick to listen, slow to speak. Again, quick to listen, slow to speak. This is a game-changing idea. And if two people could actually do that together, that has the potential to really change how you function with each other. Now, I didn't make that up. I stole that from a guy called James. James, believe it or not, was actually the brother of Jesus Christ. It's his brother. Later on in James's life, he became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Check this out. James was absolutely convinced that his brother was the son of God. Now, I have a brother. Do you know how much it would take for me to be convinced? <laughs> or he about me? Because we probably slept in the same bed for a decade as little kids. I've seen everything he's done, and he's seen everything. And we killed each other and boxed each other. Do you know how much it would take to convince your brother that you are the holy incarnate son of God? James is all in on his big brother, Jesus. He simply believes this. He believes that Jesus rose from the dead. So in the year 62 AD, he's leading this church in Jerusalem. He's going around preaching that his brother, Jesus, is the son of God and that he rose from the dead. One guy, he's head of what, what was simply known as the Sadducees. They didn't even believe in the um, possibility or concept of resurrection. He hates James, hates him. Wants him to shut up. So his name is Ananus. He takes advantage of a, of a political situation, gets James arrested, and gets James killed. Kills him. James was an amazing man. His reputation, his nickname was Just. He was called James the Just. And he just went all throughout Jerusalem telling people that Jesus rose from the dead. So he was stoned to death for proclaiming the truth about his brother. And these are the words that he wrote. And, and slight caveat, by the way, here. His words are insanely countercultural and revolutionary. In a world where women had no rights, in a world where women had zero consideration, where they were considered as property, he says these words. Chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Sit up on the edge of your seat. 
you, you want to know what I'm about to tell you. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So he's saying, I want you to, you're listening. I want you to speed up your listening. When you're in a conversation and it's getting a bit heated with somebody, our natural, you know, tendency or knee-jerk reaction is like, I'm going to build a defensive wall here. I'm not going to listen to what you say, and I'm going to think about what I'm going to get back at you. He's like, no, 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 no. I want your na- now your new knee-jerk reaction will actually be to listen. Listen to others as your go-to, as your impromptu, as a lightning reaction when other people are speaking to you. Why? Because that's what you want from other people. And James says, do that. Prioritize that. And then he says, be slow to speak. Be late to speak. Hesitate, pause, delay your speaking. Wait and hold on. Don't speak yet. If you have something that you need to say in the course of this conversation, what I would encourage you to do is to be curious. And when the other person is talking, ask them a question. To which you say, no, I don't want to ask that question. I want to say my part. It's actually worse than that. I would encourage you to ask them three questions. No, I don't want to do that. I want to let them know what's on my mind and tell them how I'm right and they're wrong. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Any teenagers in here or college students, next time your parents are reading you the riot act, and they're just going on and on and on and talking, and you're getting the dad talk. Here, just, you might want to write this down. Just This is what you say to them. Dad, I'm not really sure that we're on the same page, but I really want to hear what you're saying and understand you. Could you say all of that again in a different way so that I can get it? Boom! Dad's on the floor, and you win. But don't do it this week, particularly if you're sitting next to your dad. He'll be like, come on, buddy. But how many times in life have we done this? Where we just blast through without even listening to the other person. I have done this. You have done this. Even to my kids. I know better. I have the wisdom. I have the experience. I have the knowledge. I have age. And you are still sucking your thumb. So you better listen to me. So I'm just going to go on and on and on. And I'm going to dump a truckload of everything that I know. And my kids are dying. They're just rolling their eyes. Sometimes it's my poor wife. And then we think to ourselves, how come they don't want to spend time with me? How come they don't want to listen to me? How come they don't? You can write them right out the door. And some of you parents today are doing exactly that. You are 100% right. And you are 100% wrong. You can write your best friend right out of a relationship. You can write your rock star employee right out of your company. Why is this not working then? I know what I'm telling them is what they need to hear. It's right. I'm right. What's going wrong here? Well, you were not quick to listen and slow to speak. You didn't do that. James takes it a step further. 
Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then he adds this, and slow to become angry. This is fantastic because this is both a decision where you're saying, okay, I will cool down the RPMs of my anger, but it is also a consequence of being quick to listen and slow to speak. It's the kind of anger that I think is founded in misinformed, relationally destructive conclusions when you're drawing hasty things that are, they're not, they've not even been spoken. That's the kind of anger that James is talking about. So he's basically giving you a formula. The longer you listen, the more you will learn, the less angry you will be. That's the consequence. The longer you listen, the more you're going to learn, the less angry you're going to be. I know this sounds obvious, but let me say it to you anyway. Everything that everyone does makes sense to them. <laughs> Ever thought about that? In their minds, it makes sense. Everything that everyone says makes sense to them. You might be thinking, you're crazy. But they're like, no, this makes perfect sense to me. Everything that everyone believes makes sense to them. Now, here's where it gets really sticky in relationships, especially when, you know, tough subjects come up like religion or politics or money or anything like that. It's when you catch yourself saying this, when you catch yourself even thinking this, I don't know why they would, and fill in the blank. When you catch yourself saying that about other people, I just don't know why that they would do that or say that. I don't know why they would believe that. When you catch yourself saying that or even thinking that, who is the person that needs the education? Let me give you a hint. I don't know why. There's a deficit of knowledge here and it's on you. I don't know why they would do that or say that or believe that. So who has the problem? Who has the lack of understanding of where they're coming from or why is it that they think the way that they think? You might have some learning to do. I don't want to learn. <laughs> no. I just want to give them some, some wisdom from me because I know better. I just want to be critical. Well, of course it's a lot more fun to be critical and think that everyone's an idiot. Anyone can do that. I'd rather just sit around with a bunch of people who think like I think and do like I do, and I'd rather point the finger at somebody else and simply say, can you believe that they do that? Why would they do that? Why would they believe that? Well, guess what? They all have perfectly good reasons for what they do and what they say and what they believe, just like you do. Everything that everyone does makes sense to them. I am a fool to judge you. I am a fool to criticize you until I understand you. Quick to listen, quick to listen, quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to speak. Now that's good stuff. It's very practical, it's very helpful. But James isn't done. He's convinced, you remember, that his brother is the son of God, that Jesus rose from the dead. So he's not just into nice advice, and that is incredible advice. He's not just into self-help. He believes there's actually a divine agenda attached to what we've just said here this morning. He goes on further. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because... Now, James wants to give you the divine agenda attached to this. Now, you and I read that and we're like, yes, what a cunning idea. 
I'll be quick to listen and slow to speak, and they'll think I'm all calm and I'm being all understanding. Meanwhile, I'm just going to reel them in all the more, and then I'll stick it to them. That's not what James is talking about. Here's the because. Because human anger does not produce the rightness, the righteousness that God wants, that God desires. Three sides to any relational situation. What, what, number one, what I think is right. And I'm going to get you to agree with my right. Two, what the other person thinks is right. And they're going to do the same thing. They're going to connive and convince and control and out-anger me so that they change me to believe what they believe is right and I was wrong and, and get them on the same page. Or number three, there is a third side. God's right. Quite simply, I'm right, you're right, or the third side, and it's God's kind of right. And what he's saying to us this year is when you're in that heated conversation and your mouth's ready to just explode, your rightness, your anger, it produces a right that you desire. And this is what it looks like. I know I'm right. I want you to know that I'm right. I want everybody to know that I'm right. And you get angry about that. And that's your agenda. My anger, my control, my persuasion skills produces my rightness. And James says that is not the rightness that God has gone after. That's not the right right. You want to be right at each other. God wants you to be right with each other. And there's a big difference between those two situations. We want moments to come into our marriages and our friendships and relationships and parenting and professional working relationships. And this is what we want in our minds. We want this moment, this imaginary moment where people just sort of fling their arms up in the air and go, you are the sum total of all wisdom on planet Earth. Look at what, look what you said. Could you say that again so I can write it down? You're right. You're right. I'm so sorry. I'm so very sorry. Look at this. And here's the thing. That fictional moment that rarely ever occurs in our life anyway, when that happens and you win the argument, did you really win anything? Hooray, I won the argument. Great. Where is she? I don't know. She's gone. Hooray, but I won. I won. I won the argument. Yeah, but you lost the relationship. Parents, you can write your kids right out the door. Uh, some of you today are actually doing that. And you're like, but I'm right. And you're angry about it. It's not the kind of rightness that God's leading you towards. God didn't come to take sides. God came to take over. I don't want you to be right at each other. I want you to be right with each other. Mega statement from Jesus that sums it all up. As I have loved you, I want you to love other people. People who do and say and believe differently to you. Jesus didn't come here to be right. I mean, he didn't. If he came here to be right, that would have taken two minutes. Here I am. I'm God. I'm holy. You're a mess. Case closed. He didn't do that. 
Jesus didn't come here to be right. Other, it wouldn't have, he wouldn't have ended up on the cross. And Christ says to us today, your goal is not to be right all the time. Who, who wants to live that life? Constantly the right person? Your goal is to embrace the mission of your Savior. And he came to reconcile us to the Father. So he says, I want you to quit being right at each other and start being right with each other. How do I do that, James? Seriously, I already told you. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. James isn't done. Therefore, knowing all that I've just said there about quick to listen, slow to speak, and this anger inside of us that doesn't produce God's rightness, he says, therefore, get rid of all moral, strong words, moral filth. Now, this phrase, get rid of, could be likened to the idea of something that you're wearing. It's like a coat or it's like a jacket that you've got on. And James says, there are some of you, you're walking around here with an I'm right jacket on. And you need to take it off. And we've all met that person. You met that person at work, they just walk around with their nose in the air with this this attitude of, I just am right about everything. I am the sum total of knowledge about all subjects in life. I, when I meet those people, after a while, I don't even care if they're right. I could be like, yeah, that is 100% true. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to give you the time of day. That's what happens. You're walking around, some of you. You're wearing something, trying to convince everybody that you're right. And James says, take it off, man. Take that stuff off. He actually calls it moral filth. Strong language. Why, is, why, why does he go so strong with it? I think he goes so strong with it is because these words produce sometimes such dark, evil things in our lives where people are arguing and then all of a sudden, I mean, physical violence takes place. Or, or like we mentioned earlier, domestic violence. It started with words, but it was moral filth that they were wearing. And you've got to get rid of that stuff. You've got to take it off. One other thing he wants you to take off. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. And he says, and the evil that is so prevalent. Another word for evil here could be, is the word malice. And malice is when you look at that person you're arguing with or talking to and spewing out of your mouths, and you actually desire harm for them. That's what you want. So you're walking around, and you're, you're wearing that convince, convict, control jacket on. You have to pause and realize this is the evil that is so prevalent. What you're doing is what everybody's doing. That's what everyone in this culture, in this world is doing. And you're just doing the same as every other, every other person. I have to take this thing off. Because it never leads to anything good. Even if I win the argument, I'm hurting and destroying the relationship. And then James says, okay, so take those two things off. And he says, and then let me give you an alternative. He says, and humbly, humbly accept the word planted in you. Take off the I've got to be right all the time. And I want you to put on humility. Mm -mm -mm. Doesn't that sound nice? Humility. Oh, we don't like humility. Humility is simply this. It's you saying, we are more important than me. Humility is this. 
It's a hard one to swallow. You are more important than I am. That's not to demean you or to devalue you. It's that you are loving people in a way where you elevate them above yourself. That is humility. Where being together and making reconciliation and winning this person over is more important than you getting your way or being right. Is this ringing true for anybody? Is this making sense? Okay, three of you, praise God. <laughs> he goes on further. He says, and humbly accept the word planted in you. The word planted in you. Uh, James is talking to Christians. So he's like, you guys know what I'm talking about. You get the big picture. Like some of these people met Jesus Christ. This is the year 62 AD. They met, some of them may have even been around for the crucifixion or they were in Jerusalem when Jesus died or maybe even saw one of his appearances. They're like, you get it. You know about Jesus. You know that he humbled himself. You know that he came from heaven to earth, that he died on a cross. You know that. You understand the bigger, better truth that's happening here. So do that. But I don't know how. I don't know how. And James is like, I already told you. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And then he finishes with this, which has the power to save you. Now, I actually don't think that he's talking about eternity or becoming a Christian or salvation in the, in the broader sense. I think he's talking about saving you now. Some of you have walked in here today, and, and this is like checking so many boxes in your head because you just immediately have one, perhaps two individuals where you're looking at relationship and you're like, man, this isn't right. I know it's not right. Whether, whether it's with you know, family members or parents or siblings or your next door neighbor or people at work or whatever it is. And you're like, ah, oh, this is sour. And it's sucking the life out of me. And they're not enjoying this either. And this is the kind of salvation he's actually talking about now. Like save your marriage now. Save your relationships today. Save your friendship, save your job, save your relationship with your son, save you from regret, save you from having to apologize again, save you from getting angry and flying off the handle again and again and again, save you, I think, sometimes from divorce or sometimes when, when this really becomes awful, when he talks about moral filth, to save you from when it goes terrible, something like having to go to prison because your words are out of control. So here's what I want to do. I want to finish, cap off our time here if I can by rereading the scripture that we've just studied, maybe together. Would you mind standing with me? And I want to ask that we read it out loud, every one of us. James chapter 119, let's read this together. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Listen, for those of you today who are not Christians, this thing that we just talked about right here, quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak, it's actually what the Father did for you through his son, Jesus Christ. This is actually one of the reasons why I believe the gospel narrative is true. Because nobody would make this up. It's way too crazy. And it's certainly not a plan that I think anyone would come up with. No one would begin this adventure, this story of a savior, 
with a fragile baby who's chased out of his own country by a jealous king. That God sent his son into the world, not just as a teacher or a preacher or a prophet or an author or some kind of wordsmith, but he sends his son into the world as a baby who is speechless. Can't talk, of course, it's a baby. Not a word. And he just experiences life. The sorrow and disappointments and funerals and persecution and watching Rome come in and just impose their culture and invade and dominate. And for 30 years, he just listened. But then he began to speak and people flocked. Why? Because they felt as though he understood. They were amazed when Jesus spoke because he wasn't like any of the other teachers of the law. He spoke as one who had authority. And people who were nothing like Jesus, who didn't talk like him or think like him or do like him, they flocked to him. And then he said, he gave them this invitation to follow him. And it changed the world. And that invitation stands today. You are invited to follow Jesus, the older brother of James the Just, who went to a violent death because of the resurrection. He went to a violent death believing, believing that when he opened his eyes on the other side, he would see his brother. Don't miss a week. See you next Sunday. God bless.